We have been talking about Jesus the King. Jesus the King who has authority. What does he have authority over? What happens at the start of Mark is we hear that the King has arrived. He's Jesus. And uh, I know we've said uh, in our introduction before, you might be asked, what's he the King over? And then Mark lays out a whole lot of different things that Jesus is the King over. He's He's the king over humanity. He's the king over today. Everything. But he, it goes through creation, whatever. And, um, but today it's Jesus, the king who has authority over the powers of darkness, over the devil, over demons, and so on. Okay, so um, what we don't often see and is hidden more in Western culture is the uh, and and the devil deliberately hides himself in secular culture uh, because he dominates in a different sort of way in a in a so so called non spiritual way and but he exercises a lot of authority in our lives uh, in cultures that aren't so western they have a lot more understanding of the work of the devil uh, because they see him at work that's just how we are at the moment. But Paul says this at one point. He says, we are not unaware of the schemes of the devil. Now, I'm going to go into that. uh, I'll go back to that verse later. But what he's saying is, we know the way he works. We know his plans. We know his strategies. Now, we're going to look at four passages from Mark today. And I'm going to try and zip through them really quickly. I usually don't speak for long enough, I know. But um, um, Okay, uh, but today maybe I will. Um, and we're starting with Mark chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, uh, 13. We've had this before a few weeks back, but I just wanted to pick up on it again uh, and repeat what we've already said. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And we know uh, the stories from Matthew and Luke tell us what happened in this temptation. And what happens is... God, uh, uh, there was a number of temptations made by the devil at Jesus where he starts with, if you really are the son of God. And we know also that God had just said a voice from heaven that was accompanied by the, the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus, this is my dear son. So God has spoken, this is my dear son. The devil says, if you really are God's son. He's throwing into question... Can God be trusted? Throwing into question the word of God. Is it right and trustworthy? Okay. I just wanted to lay that there because we also are going to come back. I'm going to come back to lots of points today. Now we jump into Mark 1.21. When they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. 
News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Right. Jesus taught in the synagogue with authority. Now, the authority has a couple of different ways. In that time, the teachers of the law generally taught by quoting other teachers of the law. As so-and-so has said about this verse, and so-and-so has said about this verse, therefore we should do this. And so-and-so has said. And Jesus comes and he speaks of his own, and he says, this is what God says. That's authority, right? But not only that, you know that there's an authority that is given to people that when you hear it, you know it. I'm going to give an example. I was at day camp a few years ago and I was about to give a, a message in front of 100 and whatever, 50 kids or whatever there was. Remember that, Sue? Because Sue was standing next to me. And a couple of kids were talking when they shouldn't have been talking. And all of a sudden that I'm just sort of saying a few of my quiet, short words. And Sue goes, I can't remember the words exactly, but she, she gave them what for? And they were. I was standing next to Sue and I was <laughs> I was terrified really um, uh, and in one sense there was an, there's an authority uh, that Sue exercises as a teacher and we know she does that very well uh, that you know is there it's actually God given really but there's an authority that comes when you, when you hear that voice so Jesus, sorry Sue I wasn't that scared um, yes I was um, it reminded me of being at school really um, and not that I ever got told off there but the Jesus had an authority where he spoke and they knew that authority was there by what he said he had a teaching which was this is what the Lord says is what it means he could know that he was the son of God but also he had an authority you just know. If you've ever heard a preacher who speaks with the power of the, uh, when the authority of the Holy Spirit, you know when you're listening to it. It's just there. That's, that's a fact. You might not like it, but it's true. And so as he's preaching, a demonstration of the Spirit's power is coming and out comes a demon. It's like if you start rattling the bushes, out will come the snakes. That's it. When you start preaching with authority, because what's really happening here is Jesus is proclaiming and living and speaking from the kingdom of God as the king. And the demons are thinking, no, our master's the king. Uh, and they are rallying or railing against the authority that's given. Okay? They're fighting back. So when the, when the kingdom is presented in power and authority, the demon speaks up. He fights back. There's a confrontation. Uh, the devil has always wanted to have full power and authority, hasn't he? But this demon has nothing over Jesus. Even he, he gives an unwilling testimony. I know who you are, the son of God. Like, can't help it. Say it's the truth. And... Uh, the de- uh, just out, out of interest in the Greek, it's, it's clear the demon speaks, not the man. So if you're just thinking that the man's got his voice box going, the demon speaks from within the man. He has no power or authority over Jesus. Jesus says, come out of him. 
He has one final kick, throws him into convulsions, but he cannot resist the authority of the true king. Do you get that? Demon has no authority over Jesus. Okay, next story. We're going to pull, I'm telling these stories, we're going to pull it together towards the end. Okay, hopefully. This is, uh, it says, uh, Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he travelled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Okay, can you see there's a link here, firstly, between three things. He's praying, he's preaching, and he's confronted with demons again, and he drives them out. Okay, um, uh, he, he, and he says, preaching is what I came to do. Proclamation of the truth, and the proclamation of the truth brings that confrontation, that battle. And again, he has true authority. All right. Now, um, I want to go on to the next one. Yep, I will tie this together. Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd of people gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him and said, He's out of his mind. For they said, He's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Sorry, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over and, and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he had an impure spirit. So the teachers of the law came down to straighten out Jesus and his theology. And they made a very serious charge. He is possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Beelzebul... Uh, is a, a name, uh, uh, it means Prince of Demons. Uh, it also, in the Old Testament, means something like Lord of the Flies. You've heard of that story. Uh, it, in some places, it was translated Lords of the Earth. It's a name for evil as it rules. Okay? Um, now, they've seen a whole lot of exorcism. Jesus is casting demons out of people. And Jesus says this, that can't be Satan. Like, I mean, I know I just cast out a demon and I could be playing a game with you, but all over the place there are demons getting cast out. And if all over the place demons are getting cast out, that's very strange because that means Satan's casting out Satan all over the place and defeating him and destroying his good works. Or bad works, sorry. Not good works, bad works. That doesn't make sense, does it? 
In other words, he's saying Satan actually has a, has a united kingdom under the demons under Satan are united by the will of Satan. They do his bidding. And he calls Satan a strong man. And he basically says, if you want to break into a strong man's house, best thing you do is take a, take a whole lot of people, grab him, tie him down, tie him up, and then you can plunder his stuff while he's tied up because he can't get you. Okay. What he's saying is, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm plundering Satan's house. That's what he's saying. I've got him there. He has no authority over me. I'm tying him up. Now, just one little, it's not a tangent, but it is a tangent for what we're talking about today, is that he talks a bit about the serious offence of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which he aligns with saying that Satan is the one at work behind Jesus, what, what Jesus is doing. You can't call the work of God the work of the devil. That's a, you're in a bad place when you do that. And he's saying it's not forgivable because it's a deliberate rejection of the work of God, isn't it? And we, which is simple if you want to look at it from a simple point of view. If you reject the forgiveness that Jesus is going to give you, you won't receive the forgiveness from him. It's your own problem. That's true. But what he's saying here is that if you deliberately reject this with a knowledge of the truth you may cross a line where you won't come back from. Now, if you want to hear more about that, maybe uh, we can talk about it later, but that's not what I want to talk about today. Because in, in a sense, though, that is what Satan has done. He knows the truth of God and he has deliberately stood against the truth of God and he's, re- he's actually refused grace and mercy forever, so he will, uh, he will be judged for that. Now... Satan and his kingdom have been seemingly ruling the roost until this point where Jesus appears and he starts to drive back the powers of darkness. He starts to plunder the house of Satan, the strong man. Okay. And Satan and his demons have no answer for that authority. They might think that they come under a different ruler, the devil, but when Jesus speaks... They have no choice but to do what he says. They can't stand against him. Do you understand that? He has an authority which they cannot get away from. When he says get out, they get out. They might shriek and throw a bit of a tanty, but they can't do anything about it. Do you get that? I mean, you just stop here and say, do you understand this? Jesus has control and authority over the powers of darkness in this world. That's a fact. Okay. Now, understand this. Jesus has no sin. So the devil has nothing to exploit because the devil uses sin to exploit and rule over all people to attempt to, at least, Christians. But he has nothing on Jesus because Jesus has no sin. Okay. And also, hear this, and I'm going to talk about this again in a minute. Satan only has power where God allows him. Okay? If you imagine you've got the lawn out the back and you get your, your goat and you put him on a chain and you hammer at the end of that a peg into the ground so he cannot move... He's going to make a nice ring in the grass where he's eaten it all, but he cannot go any further than that. 
Satan can go no further than God allows. Does this give you peace to think about that? Because a whole lot of times in our life we feel like we're out of control and we say, gee, the devil's having a way with us or whatever. He can go no further. In fact, quite the opposite. With all the things he does, the devil, he, he ends up fulfilling the work of God himself, unwittingly. He's, he drives Jesus to the cross and the cross does God's work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. Charles Spurgeon is a, a quote, hopefully it's, it's in Old English, but hopefully we can get it. He says, perhaps of all the powers which affect the divine purposes in the world, in other words, the, the, of, of everything that brings around about God's purposes in this world, no one does more than the devil himself. <laughs> he is but a scullion, that's a servant, in the eternal's kitchen. He's a servant in God's kitchen. He unwillingly performs much work to which the Lord himself would not put his own children, work which is just as needful as that which the angels perform. Believe not that evil is a rival power of equal potency with the good God. Don't start thinking that there's this fight going on between the devil and God and we don't know who's going to win and there's kind of, they're about even in power. It's not that. The devil, with everything he tries to do, ends up, Performing unwittingly, unwittingly, the Lord's work. That's good news, isn't it? He attempts to upset God's plans for your life. He doesn't do it. He cannot. He has only the authority given to him and he can go no further. So the reason the Son of God appeared, John tells us, is to destroy the devil's work. Yep. Yep. And he appeared and he destroyed the devil's work. Do you hear that? How did he destroy the devil's work? He was a perfect man, so the devil could accuse him of no sin and he couldn't wield the fear of death over him, but he willingly, as an innocent man, took on our sins so that without our sins, the devil has got nothing to bring against us. Do you get that? It's good that the devil's got nothing to bring against Jesus, but it's gone one step further. Now, um, uh, how are we going? Uh, yes. In John 12, Jesus is speaking not long before the cross, and he says this. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus is experiencing temptation uh, not to believe and obey the Father, but he doesn't fall to this temptation. And once again, God repeats the truth to him. He says, then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it or your name, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there heard it and said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to them. So God repeats his word. This is my beloved son. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. How is the prince of this world going to be driven out? By going to the cross. Now, you know this. Do you you understand that there's a prince and then there's a king? And one has authority over the other. 
There might be a prince in this world, but Jesus is the king. And the prince can do nothing without the king's authority. And then he says, And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He did this to show the kind of death he is going to die. What I'm saying is this. Jesus will emerge as victor over Satan. Satan has been defeated, and it's by the work of the cross that he does this. When he is lifted up on the cross, that's the death he is going to die. And Satan has got nothing on him. Okay. So when Jesus, by his pure grace, brings forgiveness to his people, then the devil has got nothing on you. If you have faith in Jesus. And then God calls you, the church, into his workings of driving back the powers of darkness. In a little while in Mark, he's going to send out the 72. And what they find is that they can go preaching and then demons are are cast out from them too. Or, um, as we said when we finished up Romans the other day, and I know we've come back to this, you know, the first promise of salvation in Genesis 3.15, God is speaking to the devil and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, the offspring of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So, Jesus is going to crush the head of the Satan, destroy the devil's works, which he does at the cross. But then Paul says in Romans 16.20, towards the end, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Okay. Jesus defeated the work of the devil. Yeah? He destroyed the works of the devil and then he puts us, his children, his beloved, in a place where we can too destroy the work of the devil. How? By being in Christ. It's never something that's apart from him. It must be in him. And if in him, by faith in him, our sins are forgiven, then we have the purity of Christ. The devil cannot do anything. He has no hold over us. Okay. You've got all that. We've got lots of good theology there. Have you got any questions just out of interest? Because I'm really interested if I haven't explained this well enough. Right, now we're going to the next bit. What does this mean or what does this look like for us? Okay, in our, what does this authority look like? We will be people who are preaching. We will be proclaiming. And I'm going to tell you a number of different ways that this looks like. We will be people who pray. Because pray... You, what you do when you pray is you live by faith. When you don't pray, that's because you're living by yourself. You're, doing your, you're living by your own strength. When you pray, then you're going, I can't do it by my own strength, I need you. Okay? That's faith again. Understand point one. How many points have I got? Just so you want to know. Maybe 17 points, that's all. Okay. Number one, we're in a battle. That's six, sorry. We're in a battle against the powers of darkness. We're told that. Ephesians 6, your struggle is not with flesh and blood. It is with the powers of darkness. Okay. You're in a battle. You'll win this battle. That's good to know the end story, isn't it? If your faith is in Christ, you will win this battle. You might die, but you'll win this battle. Okay. We carry the authority of Jesus. Therefore, 
Whatever we face, we will win the battle. Job, remember, he, the devil brought him all sorts of hardships, didn't he? It included death of children, loss of everything he had. Um, the devil loves doing that sort of stuff. But he can still only do what he is allowed to do. He can go no further. And ultimately, those things that he tries to bring to bear in your life, which are hardships and horrible, will bring about God's good purposes in your life. Do you get that? Now, in saying that, I don't want to give you a false hope if you haven't put your trust in Jesus. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus... That you do not have power over the, the powers of darkness. You just don't. Okay? The devil is too strong for you. The devil's too strong for us who are Christians, but we are under Christ who is too strong for him. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can't defeat him, especially if we have sin in our lives. And we have sin in our lives when we haven't put our trust in Jesus. So we're in a battle. That's what I'm saying. And we must live by faith, which if you read Ephesians 6, is really saying, put on Christ. Every aspect of the armour of God is Christ. Put him on, and then you will be able to stand up. And also, he says to pray. So how does Satan try and fight us? How does he try to beat us? Well, I think one very common way that he tries to gain traction in our hearts is to do what when we started by saying the temptation of Christ. To cast doubt over the word of God. Or as I uh, at the men's group the other week when I said, what does the devil do? Clyde says, he messes with our minds. Now I'm going to tell you two ways he messes with your mind. And he casts doubt over the word of God. Because if your mind's messed up, you've got doubts about the word of God. That's how it works. Point one is by doubting the gospel. Okay? If Satan hides the victory of the cross and resurrection, then he maintains the facade that he's ruling over you. Christian sin, true? Put up your hand if you don't. Okay. No, okay. You got it. nearly got it. you didn't I? Okay. <laughs> we sin. The devil thinks and he tries to use this sin as a cause to make us doubt the full forgiveness of God. Christ's forgiveness over your life is complete, past, present, future. He has forgiven all your sins, but the devil says, Oh, that's very convenient. What, you can just do what you like, can you? Yeah? Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Is that really the way it works? How could, how, could, how could you really be a Christian when you've done that? You know that voice? Yeah? True Christians wouldn't do that, would they? You're a fake. Okay. Which drives us to do two things which the devil loves. Number one, despair, because Jesus hasn't done enough. Or number two, to believe, well, then if we do more, we'll make ourselves righteous. Either way, he is causing us to doubt the gospel. But the righteous shall live by faith, which means we shall trust in what Jesus has done every day. We shall live that way day by day. The second way that he causes us to doubt or he messes up our minds is when we question He causes us to question the word of God with regard to good and evil. The devil lied to to Adam and Eve. 
He said, you're going to have an enlightened mind. It's going to be so good. And he messes them up to think, messed them up to think that they have the ability to understand good and evil for themselves. What that looks like is this. We know clearly, as much as we try and hide it sometimes, what the Bible says is sin. True? It's pretty, pretty straightforward. But we get this thought in our heads that we can be the judges of right and wrong. And so we say things like, well, it kind of depends a bit on the situation, doesn't it? I mean, you can lie for good, can't you? Because different situations are changeable, the truth is changeable, the law is changeable, God is changeable. Oh, well, hang on. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we can twist the law and do it this and uh, you understand that thing that goes on in our hearts. But what it always ends up being is we twist the law so that we can do what we want to do. There's this particular sin that I desire to do. I know the Bible says it's a sin. So what I've got to do is, well, you know that's cultural in that point. That's, there's a cultural reading here, so it's not really sin. Maybe we'll say that. Maybe we'll say, yeah, but that depends. There's different situations. We will twist things in any way we like to say that sin's not sin. You know, the, the Greek word says something. We, or no, no, we make it say what it doesn't say. You know what I mean. Uh, do you hear what I'm saying? And then we go one step further, and that's to say it's not just okay, it's not just allowable, it's good. It's good to sin in this way. And then as our thinking becomes futile, it snowballs, and we end up, well, we end up um, with, what would you call it, spiritual insanity. Hmm. God's law, we know God's law is true, don't we? If, if under Christ, we just own up and say, yeah, God's law, I desire to sin, but I'm wrong. Yeah, I might desire this and that. I might sometimes sin, but I'm wrong. And we confess it up and get on with life. We don't have to justify it ourselves. So the devil messes with our minds to make black and white grey. Point three, the devil... Co- Loves it when we don't live in accordance with the gospel of forgiveness. You know, if we, if we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If you ever think about that, be careful when you're praying it. I want, I want you to forgive me, God, like I forgive everybody else. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Okay, Why, what has this got to do with the schemes of the evil one? Well, when Paul says we, we know the schemes of the devil, he's actually talking about forgiveness. He says, Any, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan may not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. You see, what happens when we live when we don't forgive others as we should, then Satan uses that unforgiveness to gain traction in our lives. He's got something to work with. And subconsciously, we're dissing the gospel in our heart by not forgiving others. Can you see that? We're doubting the truth of our forgiveness when we don't forgive. 
And that just gives him something, divisions, unforgiveness, accusation, condemnation. He gets power over us. Do you get what I'm saying? Point four, what, how the devil loves to work, and I know we've talked about this enough before, but he loves to wield the fear of death. If you read that in Hebrews 2, he says the devil, uh, he tries to get it over you with the fear of death. But Jesus was raised from the dead. So the resurrection must mean the end of the fear of death. So as Christians, we can do something in this world which will make us completely weird. We can laugh about death. Yep, how about that? We can look at death and go, yeah, whatever. We will not... We have nothing to be afraid. You see, we live in an age where people are terrified about death. So for that reason, we firstly take anyone who looks like dying and we insulate them away from society because we don't want to see that. And we never see dead bodies in Western world because we're terrified of death. What if we just started talking about it? Do you know what? going to die. True. Yep. It's doing uh, what Ecclesiastes says. Death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Now keep that in mind. If you keep that in mind, you'll have more joy in your life. Because you won't live at this miserable place where you're trying to hide from it all the time. But the devil wields the fear of death over us. But the resurrection of Christ has put that to death. Okay. The sixth thing. There is seven. I lied. No, this might be the fifth. I can't remember. I might not have lied. I'm capable of it. The devil wants to tell us that his kingdom is more powerful. How does he do that? Well, there's a war. There might be more war. Australia might get invaded. You should be afraid. What are we, how could we, why would we be afraid if someone were to invade Australia? We would be afraid if... God was not the most powerful and his kingdom was not the greatest. But if his kingdom is the greatest, if he is truly sovereign, then he's sovereign over invasions. Do you get that? The devil loves us to think that and to fear that his kingdom is more powerful. So knowing the sovereignty of God keeps us safe. Nasty stuff might happen. But God knows what he's doing and he is the one ultimately in control. And the last point is this. The devil wants us to believe that the most important thing in this world is in this world. Whatever that might be. So look at the things in the present. Look at your life. Look at your possessions. Look at your money. Look at your pleasures. Look at the acceptance you get from others and being loved and affirmed. That's... You know, for, for most people, being loved and affirmed is, is like the most important thing ever. Yeah? The biggest disaster is rejection. That's why we've got psychologists and counsellors are rich because of that. Yeah? Do you know what you should teach your children? Jesus is king, and his eternal kingdom is of the greatest value. You can teach yourself that, dude. Yeah? I might be facing stuff, but the greatest value is in the things of God. The treasure 
is him. Not just what we're going to get out of him. He is the treasure. His eternal kingdom. Do you get what I'm saying? There's only one rejection you need to fear in this world. And that's rejection of God. If God rejects you, you're in deep trouble. If God accepts you, who cares if the whole world rejects you? Yep, because there's going to come a point where the opinion of the whole world is completely worthless. There's only one poverty we need to fear, and that's not having the treasure of heaven. Fear that poverty. Don't fear any other poverty. Fear not having a relationship with the Father. As for pleasure, you know this world's pleasure cannot satisfy you. Right? The devil will tell you it can. Your satisfaction, your joy will be found in Christ. Nowhere else. The devil seeks to take away our joy and he gives us, you've heard of FOMO, the fear of missing out. He gives us an endless FOMO. You are going to miss out on so much unless in this world you don't, get, you don't go on every holiday, you don't get every experience, and you don't have everything. I tell you what, if you don't ever experience this, you are, you're just going to, you're just a loser. Yeah, that's what the devil tells you. Where we don't miss out on anything when we've got Christ. We've got everything when we've got him and we've got nothing when we don't have him. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for the victory that you've given us through Christ over the powers of darkness. And in a lot of ways, we don't even see the way the devil works, but we know that he is always uh, at work in our lives trying to destroy our joy. And Father, we also know that we ourselves have given him room to move by our our sins and our non-trust in the gospel. When we put the things of this world before the treasure that comes from you. I pray that you would highlight this to us, that we might confess it as sin. And Father, I pray that you would Bless us with a confidence in the gospel and a confidence in your son Jesus' kingship that we might not fear the evil one or anything he brings on us or our families or our country or anything else, but that we might know that he is ultimately the ruler and that when we are with him, Father, teach us that we have a victory in him because of him and in his righteousness. And Father, I also pray that when the fear of death sneaks up on us, that you would overcome it with the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would live preaching over ourselves the truth of Christ and prayerful in faith that your Holy Spirit would so work in us that we would know your truth and that we would love your truth above all else. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.